more than $23 trillion are held by banks in the United States, with 94% of adults owning some form of bank account. Banks are critical to the American economy. Credit is the lifeblood of the economy. Banks are like the heart of our economy that pump credit, the blood, throughout the financial system. They bring lenders together with corporate individuals who need financing, the deposits that they hold for institutional and retail clients. They help fund the economy, they help make the economy grow. But like any other institutions, banks are capable of failing. Over 550 banks have collapsed since 2001, according to the FDIC. The first year in American history where not a single bank failed was 2005. Before 2005, at least one bank had failed in every year in American history. It's cyclical. We have periods of time where the economy is doing well, things are stable, and we have years where there are no failures at all. And then we have other episodes where we go through recession or some kind of financial stress and failure spike. The collapse of Silicon Valley Bank, Signature Bank, and Credit Suisse were a harsh reminder of how quickly a trusted institution could fail, putting billions of dollars at risk. It's the largest bank meltdown since the Great Recession more than a decade ago. So what exactly causes a bank to fail? And what implications does it have on the U.S. economy? There are three main risk factors that can push banks into the risk of collapse. They have credit risk when they make loans. Institutions and the individuals are making loans to, they're exposed to default on those loans. So banks carry credit risk. Secondly, they have interest rate risk. They have assets that have a particular interest rate risk profile. They have liabilities. And one of the jobs of a bank is to match that the interest rate profile of, of assets and liabilities and to try to minimize that. Uh, that interest rate risk, and they have liquidity risk as well. Bank failures become a possibility when these risk factors impact either the bank's liquidity or solvency. Solvency refers to a bank's ability to meet its long-term financial obligations and debt, meaning the bank's total asset is capable of covering its liabilities. In terms of solvency, this is generally when banks have a lot of loans go bad. The way the banks make money is that they bring deposits in and then they lend that money out on the premise that they're gonna collect those loans back. And they collect those loans back with a little bit of interest, they pay some of that interest to the depositors, and they keep the rest. Well, if banks have loans that go bad, that's money that's not coming back into the bank. And if you have enough of those go bad, it can cause the bank to fail, where there's not enough money coming in to pay those depositors that they've gotten the money from. Many of the banks failed due to insolvency during the 2008 recession including Washington Mutual, the largest bank to collapse in American history. If you recall back in the aughts, a lot of people were getting adjustable rate mortgages, and they were getting mortgages that were often referred to as ninja loans or ninja mortgages, which was no income, no job, no assets. They would get people into a mortgage with a very low teaser rate, maybe half the rate of what you would actually pay. But after six months or a year or two years, then the rate would adjust to market rates. Well, if you're barely able to afford that mortgage at the teaser rate, that introductory rate they gave you, once those rates jumped, people couldn't afford those mortgages anymore, and they began to default on those mortgages. And so Washington Mutual had a lot of these. And so you saw this with a lot of banks uh, in that 2008 
2009-2010 timeframe. Liquidity refers to how much money banks have to meet their short-term financial obligations. When you put your money in the bank, you're entitled to that money whenever you want. That's the promise that's been made. The bank takes that money and lends. It lends to people for mortgages for 30 years, for cars for five or seven years, for all these loans that are a long time. So they have a mismatch of their timing between what they owe you in your deposits immediately and what they own, which are these assets that are long-term. Liquidity is when a bank has a crunch. Generally, depositors want their money immediately, and the bank has more demands for that immediate money than they have assets that they can liquidate in order to get people their money, so they fail due to a crisis of liquidity. It was ultimately liquidity that caused SVB to become the second largest bank to fail in American history. Do you remember when you could get a mortgage at three or 4%? That mortgage, got put into a big pool, and SVB was one of the buyers of that. Now, when interest rates rose sharply, those cheap mortgages were worth less. When people are afraid that a bank doesn't have as much capital, that its assets aren't there, they become jittery and they want their money, and they try to make a deposit run. So a handful of businesses wanted their money. SVB had a liquidity problem. That was immediately why it failed. There was a run on the bank. No bank can withstand everybody asking for its money back at the same time, right? And that happened. Once a bank fails, the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation steps in. First established in 1933, the organization was created in order to protect depositors and improve trust in the American banking system. The FDIC, this is their kind of bread and butter. They know how to unwind a bank in kind of the, the least harmful way. For most banks, FDIC attempts to sell the failed bank in whole or in part to another bank in healthy standing. Another bank comes in and will take over all of the loans or most of the loans of the bank and their deposits. And if there's a mismatch between the, the loans and investments that they're getting and the deposits that they're getting, then the FDIC may have to put some money into the pot to make it attractive for another bank to take that over. In other cases, FDIC takes a more involved approach. In the case of Silicon Valley Bank, what they did is take possession of the bank and then basically create what they call a bridge bank. And the idea of this bridge bank is to get the depositors their money and then collect on any loans that they might have. In essence, what they're going to do is liquidate this bank so that the bank no longer exists. Regardless, depositors in an FDIC-insured banks are covered up to $250,000 per depositor per bank for each account ownership category. Insurance also plays an important role in preventing panic among depositors. The whole purpose of deposit insurance, which is what the FDIC was created to do, is to say, okay, the reason why you're trying to pull out your money is because you think if you wait too long and this bank fails, your money won't be there. So what if we back your money and we say, even in the case of this bank was to fail, we will insure you up to a certain point. However, not all banks are FDIC insured. Yet the federal government made a controversial move in 2023 when they announced that all depositors of SVB, including more than 95% who are uninsured, would continue to have access to their money. I am very concerned that we're setting a precedent towards unlimited government support for every dollar in the banking system. There's now an expectation in a similar event they would do the same thing. And if that's the case, it really needs to be addressed in a much more comprehensive way. And that would 
presumably involve raising the deposit insurance limits and having the deposit insurance premiums reflect that accordingly. Nonetheless, a swift action from the government is vital to containing bank failures that could lead to a domino effect. How much could this spread? From lessons learned in the past from banking regulators and financial crises, the quicker you move to ring fence or isolate this incident from other banks, the less likely there is of a contagion effect, Andrea. That's probably the reason why you saw the FDIC and California regulators act as quickly as they did with SVB. There's definitely the potential for dominoes. And the dominoes are, well, if we don't know if this bank's solvent, what's the next? Sometimes it's an oil crisis or a farm crisis, housing market and the great financial crisis. These are all things that, that large numbers of banks have exposure to. You have banks that are doing the same things that at one point might have seemed safe, but at the extremes are not safe. And then something triggers it so that those dominoes start to fall. Bank failures can have a major impact on the American economy. All we have to do is go back to the financial crisis of 2008, the failure of those financial institutions. It greatly restricted and constricted the economy. Banks have to conserve their capital. They do that by tightening their lending standards. As they tighten their lending standards, there's less credit flowing through the economy. And that contraction of credit is a negative impulse to economic growth. It can trigger either economic slowdowns or more seriously could lead us into economic recessions. So are there enough regulations to prevent and buffer against bank failures? Experts say that's the wrong question to ask. People are asking the question, did we get the rules right? Well, there's a more elementary question. Did we enforce the rules right? And the answer is no. If you look at what the regulators were doing with SVB as recently as 2019 and more recently even, they were warning that things need to be changed here, that they're taking on additional interest rate risks, that they're going to have some potential liquidity problems in the event that interest rates begin to rise. There were failures of supervision done by the Federal Reserve, obvious and rampant throughout Silicon Valley Bank and potentially others. The collapse of SVB also revealed the danger of deregulation. Several politicians and researchers have openly blamed the rollback of Dodd-Frank regulations as one of the main reasons for its failure. We start doing what's known as stress tests, where the Federal Reserve, you know, create these hypothetical situations of like you know, our economy in distress in various ways, and then like, you know, use these simulations for the bank and let's based on how the bank is right now, how will you survive, you know, a period of stress, right? Um, so we start doing all these things and it's great. And then literally on the 10th year anniversary of Dodd-Frank passing 2018, we see in under the Trump administration, there is now this call to deregulate a bit, right? What we're doing today with respect to Dodd-Frank is truly important legislation. And I have to say for a Congress that they say, you know, won't be doing much because we have an election coming up. I think we're doing an awful lot when you think about it. They raised the limit up to 250 billions that were subject to some additional secure, uh, scrutiny from 50 billion. And so SVB happened to fall in that category of between 50 billion and 250. So when they raised that to 250, they weren't subject to this greater uh, scrutiny. Deregulation is not the answer, right? We keep trying that and we keep failing, right? So at some point, like, we need to stop this game that we're playing with ourselves. Panic is never the right reaction following a bank's collapse. Nonetheless, there are always lessons to be learned from it. 
All in all, the U.S. banking system is safe and sound. For individuals, though, it doesn't hurt to take a look at the financial health of your financial institution, your bank, if you happen to have more than the insured amount. And unless you're having to make payroll, you know, if if it's your savings that we're talking about, then it might make sense for you to spread that money out just for your peace of mind. Uh, Because if you are banking with a small community bank and something were to happen to that bank, it's unlikely, but if something were, uh, it's unlikely that the that the regulators are going to come in and guarantee all of your deposits. They would only be guaranteeing up to that two hundred and fifty thousand dollars.